Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. You can never have peace while you live at war with your maker. And that's what a life of sin is. You're living at war with your maker. You're revolting against your creator and the one who made you for a purpose and the one who loves you and the one who wants to guide and lead your life. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 54 through 57. Now here's Pastor Brian. God's word as a seed is that imagery is used many times in the scriptures that the word of God, like a seed, contains the life of God. And as the life of God through the word of God is planted in the heart of a person, the life of God begins to spring up in your life, in my life. That's what's happening. And as the word continues to come to us, it continues to do that work sometimes imperceptible, sometimes it seems so slow, but ultimately there is that point where we look and we see, wow, amazing, fruit has come. And and that's why we often encourage people to just be faithful to be in the word. Don't worry so much about how you feel after you read your Bible. Don't worry so much about whether you feel like you're really growing. Just be faithful. Just continue to have that consistent intake of God's word. Because as you're doing that, it's just like the rain and the snow that is going to eventually bring forth the fruit. And so God's promise, his word will not return void. And I've also taken encouragement many times when I have had the opportunity to share God's word with somebody, but their response has not been what I had hoped it would be at the moment. I, you know, how many times have we shared with someone and you're just wanting them to receive it and embrace it and experience the full impact and benefit of it, but, you know, they might listen and then, they, okay, well, thank you. And you know, that that seems to be the end of it, but it's not the end of it because you planted a seed. You planted the seed of God's word. And boy, how many stories are there of people who would would tell you that their conversion maybe took place at this point, but it all began when somebody planted a seed back at this point. And so that's, that's the, the beautiful promise here. So we take that to heart. And then God, as he says, God's word is going to accomplish what he sends it to you. And you will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and the hills will break into singing before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, a cypress will come up. Instead of the briar, a myrtle will come up. 
And this will stand as a monument for the Lord, as an everlasting sign that will not be destroyed. So using this poetic language here, it's just talking about the, again, when everything is restored and God's word has done its full work, how all things will once again um, be praising and worshiping the Lord. Chapter 56, this is what the Lord says, preserve justice and do what is right for my salvation is coming soon and my righteousness will be revealed. Just just a quick note, I've mentioned this before. Notice God is referring to his salvation. Of course, he's talking about, again, the Messiah. And yet, and and he's using the, the language that my salvation is coming soon. And yet we know that that is... That soon is obviously from God's perspective, not so much from the human perspective. Because even to the first coming of Jesus, it was 700 years from Isaiah uh, till the coming of Christ. And then if we think about the second coming, of course, we're still waiting for that. And there was the deliverance that came to Israel from their Babylonian captivity. And perhaps it has a reference to that as well. So happy is the person who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I am a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name and they will not be cut off as for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold firmly to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain. Let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. A familiar few words there. Of course, uh, Jesus quoted those words in the temple. But here, just really quickly, the foreigner and the eunuch, the eunuch, of course, was a person who was castrated. And because of that, there was a certain amount of shame or there was, you know, the sense that your life was inferior because you couldn't have offspring and so forth. And then the foreigner was seen as somebody who was a foreigner, somebody who was outside, wasn't, you know, welcomed fully in. But the Lord is saying to both the foreigner and the eunuch that he is inviting them fully in. For the eunuch who loves him and has chosen him, for the foreigner who loves him and chosen him, they have an equal standing in place within God's house, as do the people of the Lord themselves. And, and you know, this is, again, somewhat of a reminder of what happened when Jesus established the new covenant and opened the door of salvation for the Gentiles to come in. And so Paul elaborates on this in the letter to the Ephesians, where there he is talking about how how we as Gentiles are no longer 
strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and we are members of the household of God. You see, the Gentiles were the foreigner. The Gentiles were on the outside. But through the gospel, Jesus brought us in and brought us in fully and completely. Didn't bring us in and say, okay, you're in, but you got to sit in the back of the room. He brought us in and said, the the house is yours. Make yourself comfortable. We are now members of the household of God. So that promise to the foreigner and the eunuch is a similar, or in a sense, it is fulfilled in a huge way in the Gentiles coming into the relationship with the Lord. Now, the last verses here of chapter 56, this is, verse 10 says, Israel's watchmen are blind. Uh, All of them, they know nothing. All of them are mute dogs. They cannot bark. This is an indictment. So remember, we've seen how there's uh, indictment for their sin. There's uh, explanation for their judgment. There's comfort in their current situation, and there's promise for deliverance. And they kind of go back and forth throughout Isaiah. So all of this comfort, all of this encouragement, this encouragement to the foreigner, this encouragement to the uh, the eunuch, but now the reminder of why they are in the situation that they are in because of their, their revolt, their rebellion against the Lord. But then as we come to chapter 57, we'll just skip right over to 57. And here it says, the righteous person perishes and no one takes it to heart. The idea here is the righteous person dies. No one takes it to heart. The faithful are taken away with no one realizing that the righteous person is taken away from the evil that is to come. And verse two, he will enter into peace. They will rest on their beds, everyone who lives uprightly. So here's an interesting perspective. The righteous perish, righteous people die. And sometimes what Isaiah is telling us is sometimes they're actually taken, they're taken away from a greater evil that is yet to come. And that wouldn't be the case in every situation, but in some situations, it it would be the case. And there's an example of this in the scriptures themselves with King Josiah. King Josiah, this one of the best kings that Judah ever had, but he's slain in battle with Pharaoh Necho, and it seems so wrong that that happened. He was God's man. Uh, why was he allowed to be slain? And yet what we realize is that there was a judgment that was going to fall upon the nation, and it was through uh, Josiah's premature, seemingly premature death that he was delivered from all of the horrors of the judgment that came when the Babylonians invaded. So Josiah would be just an illustration of someone uh, who is taken away, um, but taken away and delivered from the evil that is yet in the future. Uh, verse three, but come here, you witches, sons, offspring of an adulterer and a prostitute. So here again, beginning in verse three, 
all the way through verse 11, we have that same thing, the Lord turning once again to addressing their particular uh, sins and violations. And um, the emphasis here is on their idolatry. And God speaks of that as prostitution, that the, the, the nation was like his wife who was unfaithful and who would run off and meet with lovers in different places. And so that whole section there from three to verse 10, it is, is describing what's happening there. But the latter part of verse 11 says, I have kept silent for a long time, haven't I? So you do not fear me. And you know, there's something, there's, there's something to that, isn't there? People today, especially because there has not been a definitive judgment by God that we could point to in recent history, I think even in the time after the death of Christ to this very day, I don't know that you could point to anything that's happened and say that it is definitely a judgment by God, except the destruction of Jerusalem, because Jesus said that would be the case. But in all of the long history between the time of Christ and now, we've had catastrophes, we've had disasters, we've had wars, we've had uh, pandemics, we've had all of these things. And and people are always, you know, to some degree tempted to weigh in and say, well, I think this is a judgment from God. This seems like, but, you know, we can't say with any certainty um, that it is a judgment from God because Jesus took our judgment and the period of time that we're living in now is a time when God is not imputing our trespasses to us, but he's rather um, proclaiming to us a word of reconciliation. Now there's coming a day when the world will enter into a day of judgment, when it will absolutely, definitely, and directly be a judgment from God. But I don't know that there's anything that we could say in the current time would be that. So as that is the case, because God has, in that sense, been silent for a long, long time, there's no fear. There's no fear of God. People don't think about a judgment. They don't think there is a judgment. They feel that they are free to live and to do anything they want to do. And they're just not concerned that there's any consequence to it. But you see, this is the danger because there is a consequence. There is a judgment that will inevitably come. And even though God has held his peace for a long, long, long time, uh, there will come a point when that is no longer the case. Now, as we've mentioned many times, as we see during this season with this COVID issue and all of that, we see that people have been um, frightened. And that's the very thing it says here, so you do not fear me. We see that people have been frightened and people have been so frightened that they've actually begun to reconsider whether or not there might be a God and whether or not there might be a judgment. So judgments in some ways, even though they might not be sent directly by God, they are allowed by the Lord for the purpose of striking fear in people's hearts to get them to wake up 
and realize that there is a judgment day coming. And so he says, I will announce your righteousness and your works. Uh, They will not profit you. And let's just skip right on from there. Again, he's still talking about the um, harlotry, the idolatry of the people. And so uh, verse 14, he said, build it up, build it up. So speaking of the land as God restores, as he begins to bless again, build it up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle for my people's way. For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the oppressed. So God says, although I'm high and elevated and lifted up and and live in a holy place, I dwell among the lowly. God dwells among the humble and he dwells among the broken and the oppressed. And although many are broken and many are oppressed, and oftentimes the oppression is coming from oppressors, um, in a special way, the Lord cares for those people and he will vindicate them at some point. And he says that over and over again in his word. But it's also just a reminder that, like we're told in the book of James, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So he's the high and lofty one. He's the elevated one. He's the one who dwells in the holy place. But he will dwell with those who are of a lowly spirit. And that's just a picture of humility. God is drawn to the humble. He resists the proud, but he is drawn to the humble. And so it goes on and he says, for I will not accuse you forever and I will not always be angry for then the spirit would grow weak before me, even the breath which I have made because of his sinful greed. I was angry, so I struck him. I was angry and hid Uh, But he went on turning his back to the desires of his heart. So this is a description again of Israel going astray. Uh, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating words of praise. Thus says the Lord, peace, peace to the one who is far and near, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like a storm-tossed sea, for it cannot be still, and its waters churn up mire and muck. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. So two things as we finish up here. He's speaking of the, again, because of his sinful greed, verse 17, I was angry, so I struck him. I was angry and hid, but he went on turning his back to the desires of his heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. So here we just have this beautiful picture of grace. We have a, a, a description of a person who is sinful and a person who is turning his back on the Lord, but we have God saying, but I will heal him and lead him and restore and comfort him. And, and once again, let's just remember that it's because of God's grace and his mercy that we are saved 
And were it not for that, we would have all continued. Remember the 53rd chapter, all we like sheep have gone astray. We would have continued to go astray. But because of his mercy, he has turned our hearts back to himself. And so when we think about our own salvation, we can only think in terms of his goodness and his mercy and his grace. We never think in terms of, wow, you know, I'm saved because I'm, I'm such a good person or I did so many good things or I'm saved because, you know, I decided that I was wrong and, and then I knew I needed to get right. Anybody who knows real salvation basically knows that I am saved because God had mercy on me. God just turned me around. God did something that I could have never done for myself. God did something that I wasn't even looking to do for myself. And we see that right there in that passage. But then we also have this reference to the wicked. And the wicked are like the storm-tossed sea, for it cannot be stilled. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. That is a truth. The wicked... And, you know, when we're talking about wicked here, we're talking about people who are in revolt against the Lord. People are refusing to surrender to him, to yield to his authority, to make him the Lord of their life. They're like a storm-tossed sea. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. You can never have peace while you live at war with your maker. And that's what, A life of sin is. You're living at war with your maker. You're revolting against your creator and the one who made you for a purpose and the one who loves you and the one who wants to guide and lead your life. But as you're resisting that, you're at war with him. And of course, when you're at war, you can't be at peace. And that's why there is no peace for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked because the wicked are perpetually at war with the Lord. But the moment we say, I surrender, that, that's what we're talking about. You know, in war, what happens uh, when, you know, when the enemy realizes they are defeated, what do they do? They, they put up the white flag. What is the white flag? The white flag is the white flag of surrender. They're saying, I surrender and everything changes at that moment. And that is true for you. And that is true for me. That's true for any single human being who will just raise the white flag and say, Lord, I surrender my war against you. I'm laying down my arms and I'm admitting defeat before you. You've won. You've defeated me. But you know, that's the way to peace. And that's the way to life. And that's the way to wholeness and blessing and goodness and all of those things that God has in store. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Forgiveness is such an important topic. We live in a world where there's little forgiveness today. Forgiveness, of course, is something that we need to experience amongst ourselves as people. But 
of course, the bigger issue is in our relationship with God. How do we obtain forgiveness? Timothy Keller has written an extraordinary book on the subject of forgiveness called Forgive, Why Should I, and How Can I? Unforgiveness can actually ruin a person's life. And this great book is so helpful in showing us how God has forgiven us and teaching us how we can forgive one another. So that's Timothy Keller, Forgive, Why Should I, and How Can I? Again, this month's resource is a book titled 15 New Testament Words of Life, A New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. You can order the book 15 New Testament Words of Life by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I by Timothy Keller. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.